Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is late today, 10.48 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 10th of, what, April 2023, and this is episode 701 of Bitcoin and the Beef Initiative. (laughs) The reason that I am coming to you about an hour late is simply because I had a, a long phone conversation with my friend, Texas Slim, who is back from the wilds of Australia and Southeast Asia, uh, which he had a really good time. Uh, but we, he ended up just, it was sort of like a downloading session because I hadn't talked to Slim in a while. And we're going to try to do a, we're going to try to do an interview uh, so he can come on and in his own words, tell you all the stuff that's going on with the Beef Initiative. Um, one thing that I can say is that the Beef Initiative website, you can get there by beefinitiative.com, has been revamped, has a good, clean look, is slick, is just, man, I mean, this thing looks very, very nice. It's very well done. It scrolls fast. It has all the things that you would normally, you know, imagine a website where you can go buy boxes of beef to have. And one of the things that Slim and I did talk about is the notion of competition. And I won't get into it uh, very, very much, but the notion of competition has no place in the beef initiative. Competition uh, amongst ranchers, I need to sell more beef than my competitor. This kind of mindset is poison. It's absolute poison. We've, you know how I usually say, I'll usually say something about how we've been lied to about a great many things for a very long amount of time. Well, this is one of them, the notion of competition. And you get, basically there's two, there's two notions of competition. One is that competition is a sin. And then the other notion is competition is healthy. I'm starting to reverse my course on the competition is healthy kind of thing. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I think we've had, I think our our view of what competition between two parties or two individuals or two institutions, whatever, whatever you want to do, is poison. And that it absolutely guarantees that nobody can collaborate, corroborate, work together, and be more than a sum of its parts. I think that's by design. I'm just going to say that. I'm going to let that hang in the air and just say, and just come back to the notion that one of the things that Texas Slim and I talked about is that there will be no competition inside of the beef initiative. All right. So you need to understand what that means. That means that one rancher is not a rancher that comes in 
with the fear mindset, the negative energy mindset of competition is not going to be allowed to prosper inside of the beef initiative. And I think we need to start really resetting what we think competition actually is. Why we've been raised in competitive things. Whether you were into sports in high school or junior high or whatever, or your team right now is the Washington, well, I don't know what they call them anymore. It used to be the Washington Redskins versus, I don't know, the New York Jets. Just pick any, pick any rivalry and ask yourself, why is this just being, has been for decades heralded as the, the pinnacle of its competition? You know, and if, clearly it's not going to be fun if both teams work together. That's in the sporting arena, but the mindset of competition has been with us since before all of us listening to this podcast were born. Competition. What has it given us? Ask yourself if the things that you can point to that were the good outcomes of quote unquote a healthy competition actually resulted in something that couldn't have been more had those two parties collaborated together. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, good to hear from my buddy, Texas Slim. He's always a positive energy shot in the arm, which is what I always need. Now on to, <clears throat> on to, uh, let's see, what, are we, what do we got here? Dan, Dan, Mape, uh, Maple Trade on Noster sent me four bottles of his homemade maple syrup. And there's four different grades. Like there's a light, there's a medium you know, there's a darker one. And then there's one that he calls cooking, you know, something that you cook with. You don't normally, you wouldn't, um, in his opinion, you wouldn't put it on pancakes, but I've heard some people say, what are you talking about? This stuff is great on waffles and pancakes. I know the starch, I get it. Stop it. Okay. If you don't want to eat it, that's fine. But I like a good waffle that's literally soaked in butter with four big old slices of thick ass bacon on the side and a little bit of maple syrup. I used to drown them. Now I don't because the whole carbohydrate thing, but still you can enjoy some things. It's, it's not, you know, it's not lethal in, in either event. Um, Dan's stuff is awesome. Maple trade, go to maple trade or, or look for maple trade on Noster. If you can't find it, hit me up through DM on Noster. I wish I could say the same thing for Twitter, but as you know, I'm not allowed on Twitter and thank God because that whole thing is just, uh, oh my God, I don't even want to get into it. But we will get into this one. Don't mess with Texas innovation. Advocates criticize Bill removing crypto mining incentives. This one from Turner Wright and Cointelegraph. Three crypto advocacy groups have launched a campaign in response to proposed legislation that would remove many incentives for miners operating in Texas. In the April 10th announcement, the Texas Blockchain Council, Chamber of Digital Commerce, and Satoshi Action Fund called on Texas residents to reach out to lawmakers in opposition to the state's Senate Bill 1751. The legislation, if passed, okay, let's pause to see where this thing is. Okay, it passed out of committee, which means that it is now eligible for voting on the floors of the Senate and the House of Representatives in Texas. It hasn't passed the legislative maneuvering yet, but it's out of committee, which makes it eligible to be voted 
on, and that's coming next. Now, the legislation, if passed, would amend sections of Texas utility and tax code to add restrictions for crypto mining facilities. The campaign, named Don't Mess With Texas Innovation, a play on the state's anti-littering slogan, which has been used by many lawmakers to describe government overreach, claimed many aspects of the mining bill were antithetical to free market principles. Currently, some crypto mining firms are allowed to participate in a program organized by the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, otherwise known as ERCOT, which compensates them for adjusting their load on the state's power grid during periods of high demand. Quote, we need to send a strong message to policymakers that the people do not want protectionist policies that push innovation out of the markets, said Chamber of Digital Commerce founder and CEO Perianne Boring. Quote, at a time when folks here are concerned with the economy, jobs, and a reliable energy grid headed into summer, this bill is wrong, the wrong proposal and it's at the wrong time. End quote. Operations concerning Texas's power grid has been under increased scrutiny from federal and state lawmakers and regulators since a massive winter storm in February of 2021 left millions of residents without power as well as running water for days. Such conditions have also contributed to damage to certain miners due to burst water pipes. Many experts said that it was unlikely crypto firms contributed to the energy crisis back in 2021 in Texas due to them temporarily shutting down or scaling back operations as part of the ERCOT program. Some lawmakers, including Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Focahontas Warren, have probed ERCOT on the energy usage and potential environmental impact of crypto mining companies. She should really stay in her lane. She's from Massachusetts. She has nothing to do with Texas. That's senatorial overreach, in my opinion. Continuing, quote, Bitcoin mining companies were able to curtail 50,000 megawatt hours of electricity in July of 2022 alone to respond to record heat and energy demand, ensuring that Texans could continue to cool their homes, said the campaign, further saying, quote, no other industry can perform the same service as efficiently or effectively, end quote. According to the three crypto advocacy groups, more than 22,000 people in Texas are employed by Bitcoin miners. Not just Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining. Some of the largest companies include Core Scientific, Riot Platforms, White Rock Management, and Argo Blockchain, though Argo announced in December that it would be selling its Texas facility to Galaxy Digital. So there you go. At least we got some, somebody is coming along with some pushback uh, for this, in, this, this stupid thing that's going on in Texas right now, which is prompted or seems to be prompted by Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway because they have a deal worked out with Texas to build a $10 billion series of gas-fired electric generation plants around the state. Uh, but those are going to be idle until load needs to be produced because, you know, people turn on their air conditioners or they use electricity in the deepest of winters. And the Bitcoin mining directly challenges the need at all for that. If you're going to build electric generation and you want it to be part of the base load, that's one thing. But these are peaker plants, which means that they are flipped on only when they need extra load. Well, if you shut down miners, then that load is now present. Now, there somehow or another, it got injected into the argument from Berkshire Hathaway that Texas is going to need this. 
uh, in the future as population grows. And yes, as population grows, electricity demand is going to increase. That's just the way this whole thing works. But nowhere in their plan, at least what I've read, did they say that these peaker plants will then become permanent on load-bearing power generation stations. So I don't believe anything that they say. I think that this is a move by Berkshire Hathaway to make sure that they get their $10 billion contracts, you know, paid out so that they can build these things. And they don't care about building the thing. They want $10 billion and they're going to make a shit ton of money off the back end of that. So there you go on that one. Now, more mining stuff. We're going to be mining heavy on the front of this show. Arkansas passes right to mine Bitcoin bill through the House and the Senate. So this came out of committee. It went to the floor. It has now passed the House of Representatives and the Senate floor in Arkansas, which means that it should be ready for signing by the governor. And that's the last link in the chain. The state of Arkansas has passed the right to mine Bitcoin bill through the House and Senate. Now it is set to be signed by the state's governor to protect the rights of crypto miners within the state of Arkansas. The passing of the legislation was shared by the Satoshi Action Fund, which were which were integral in the devising of the bill. Moreover, Arkansas's decision follows similar action taken by Missouri earlier this month as they passed the same right to mine bill with a unanimous 12 to 1 vote. And we're going to get to that here in a second. Amidst the evolving digital asset industry, the subject of crypto mining has induced some rigorous debate. Yet, as both sides of the aisle have engaged in the discourse surrounding the practice, the Satoshi Action Fund has worked with crypto miners in protecting their necessary work. Now, those efforts have been rewarded once again, as Arkansas has passed the right to mine bill through both the House and the Senate. Subsequently, the legislation is now set to be signed by the state's governor. The piece of legislation is designed to protect Bitcoin and crypto miners in regards to their specific business. Moreover, Arkansas has followed similar action to specifically protect mining practices from discriminatory, discriminatory rates imposed by electric companies for energy usage. Additionally, Montana signed comparable Bitcoin mining protection in February of this year. Similarly, Texas has enacted legislation that will protect Bitcoin hodlers, miners, and developers this March, which is going to come in direct conflict with this whole Berkshire Hathaway thing. Anyway, or 1751. Specifically, the bill states its intention to, quote, clarify the regulation of the digital asset and mining business. Moreover, Amidst the lack of regulatory clarity in the United States, this kind of legislative action is undoubtedly a welcome development. Well, certainly it's a welcome development. And maybe Arkansas, maybe the governor, doesn't get stupid, or best, better yet, doesn't get a phone call from somebody whose business is directly challenged in some way by Bitcoin mining. And if Arkansas holds true, then they're going to be well-served in the future, as is Missouri, because Missouri passed a bill to protect crypto and Bitcoin mining rights as well. And this one's from Joshua Ramos from Watcher Guru. The other one was from Watcher Guru as well, and I forgot to say that, and that's bad, bad host, bad. The Satoshi Action Fund has done it again. As Missouri has passed a bill to protect crypto and Bitcoin mining in the state, Moreover, the right to mine Bitcoin bill passed through the state with a bipartisan unanimous vote of 12 to zero in favor of. The bill is cited as the Digital Asset Mining Protection Act and protects the right of crypto miners. 
Specifically, the legislation restricts energy companies from discriminatory rates based on the practice of crypto mining in comparison with other industrial electricity usages. The crypto mining industry has always been a vital aspect of digital assets. Subsequently, an ener as energy companies in some states have positioned themselves against the proactive protecting that, uh, or hold on, let me do this again. Subsequently, as energy companies and some states have positioned themselves against the proactive protecting the sect of, in of the industry has become a necessary task for crypto to continue to move forward. Now, it has taken a massive stride thanks to the Satoshi Action Fund. Today, Missouri has passed a bill to protect crypto and Bitcoin mining in the state. Thus, the legislation issued will protect the process of digital asset mining from potential discriminatory rates, we see that mentioned again and again, and charges from electric companies. The bill passed unanimously 12 to zero, Moreover, it saw bipartisan support with both Democrats and Republicans joining and passing the legislative document. Additionally, similar right to mine crypto bills have previously passed in Montana in a similar landslide vote. Both of the legislative developments were championed by the Satoshi Action Fund, a nonprofit organization to the education of lawmakers and appropriate regulation of digital assets, both the organization and CEO Dennis Porter will only continue pushing their advocacy with these moments as proof of their efforts. So there you go. There you go. It's, it's, it's happening. And the Satoshi Action Fund is pretty much at the forefront of all this. Uh, Bitcoin Policy Institute, as well as uh, whoever, whoever else. I mean, there's like three of them that are involved. Um, all of them deserve our support. And, and our support is really going to help not only them, but it's, it's going to help us. And if I get, when I get a hold of their lightning node addresses, now that I know how to slip somebody into my value block, I can set them up as a split. So when you guys support me, you guys will also be supporting, and I'll probably do it in a rotational way where, hey, I'll maybe announce at the beginning of the show this week, you know, uh, a certain percentage of whatever Satoshis you stream or boost me to the show will go to Satoshi Action Network. You know, I won't, it won't be a permanent thing, right? So I'll rotate and that way I can kind of keep these guys in the forefront of your mind because they need to be. They really, really do need to be because we have people like the New York Times out there spouting crap. And this one is written by Prashant Jha, Cointelegraph, Bitcoin proponents respond to New York Times BTC mining report. Oh boy. The New York Times latest report on Bitcoin mining tilted the real world cost of the digital race for Bitcoin has, or titled, not tilted, titled the real world costs of the digital race for Bitcoin has irked many BTC proponents, some of whom took to Twitter to call out certain aspects of the report, including saying it was cherry picking data. Yeah, when have we not seen that? The NYT article says Bitcoin mining has a voracious appetite, appetite and claims it uses as much energy as all residents in New York City. In response, Daniel Batten, a Bitcoin environmental, social, and governance analyst, pointed toward what he saw were two major instances of cherry-picking data alongside neglecting the increased use of, of use of renewable energy in the mining sector. Batten said, the New York article, New York Times article, drastically exaggerates the actual fossil fuel used by BTC miners with emission levels overstated by an average of 81.7%. 
They overstated the energy usage of Bitcoin mining using fossil fuels by 81.7%. Holy crap. He added the report was, quote, using overwhelmingly incomplete data sets to support a thesis, end quote. Batten also mentioned that there are 26 Bitcoin miners in the United States and Canada using 90% sustainable energy to fuel their mining activities, but the New York Times article chose just two and focused on the sites least backed by renewable energy. Troy Cross, another Bitcoin proponent, said the New York Times article used marginal emissions accounting to prove its narrative, selectively applying it only for carbon emissions, not generation. Dennis Porter, CEO of Satoshi Action Fund, noted that the NYT article made a mistake in its initial reporting naming the incorrect town in which a BTC mining facility in Texas is based. The publication later corrected the error. And Dennis Porter says in his tweet, wow, the NYT couldn't even take the time to fact check the town that Bitcoin mining is taking place in. It's to Rockdale, Texas, not Rockland. These are not serious people. No, they're not. They're not. They're bought and paid for. Pierre Rochard, vice president of research at BTC mining firm Riot, accused the NYT of using fictitious fractional reserve carbon accounting and cooking the books to fabricate emissions. Another Twitter user, Hakan, pointed toward passages they believe to be fear-mongering. While the high energy consumption required for Bitcoin mining is definitely a topic of debate, Mining is significantly important for blockchains, oh God. Not only is it used to verify transactions, it also makes it decentralized and adds a layer of security. According to the Bitcoin Mining Council report of the fourth quarter of 2022, the Bitcoin network is already a leader in sustainable energy use with 58.9% of its energy coming from renewable sources. Bitcoin mining has always been a controversial topic, often fueled by critical articles published by mainstream outlets claiming it has a net negative impact on the environment. However, many Bitcoin proponents see these sorts of reports as hit pieces and are quick to offer an opposing perspective. Meanwhile, some are actively campaigning to change Bitcoin's mining consensus to the more environmentally friendly proof of stake. It's not environmentally friendly because the environment that proof of stake causes reaches well beyond its carbon footprint or generation or thirst or hunger, it forces people into the same fiat debt trap that we're already in. That's all proof of stake does. So when you want to say environmentally friendly, what environment are you talking about? The physical environment, the physical ecology where plants and animals and there's air and water, is it that, is it that environment? What about the environment of people that are destitute and, and can't sleep anymore and missing house payments and car payments and having their shit repossessed and not making ends meet, meet and not being able to feed children and they're, you know, put clothes on them and send them to school? Is that not an environment as well? Well, if you want this proof of stake shit to go forward, then all you're doing is producing more of the same thing that got these people that are in this environment to stay and dwell in this environment and there's no escape. So what environment are we talking about when we talk about stupid things like, oh, it's environmentally friendly? Because an environment that has nothing but destitute people in it is not a clean and healthy and friendly environment. It's just not. And anybody who says it does either doesn't know what they're talking about or they're lying through their teeth.
Now, do we want to do this? Yes, we do want to do this one. All right, dailyhodl.com, written by Daily Hoddle staff. Macro guru Lynn Alden issues a warning on CBDCs, says Bitcoin is the counterweight. Here's why. Popular macro expert Lynn Alden says they are generally not positive on central bank digital currencies amid an increasing adoption of centralized digital currencies. In a new interview on the David Lynn Report, Alden says that CBDCs give authorities extraordinary control over the end users. Quote, obviously the downside of CBDCs is that you centralize everyone's usage of the public ledger. That gives the government extraordinarily control. Extraordinary control. They can surveil everything. They can freeze funds more easily. They can make it more programmable so they can say, you know, interest rates vary based on your age or based on other activity. I think countries like China show some of the scarier scenarios for how that can turn out, where they can link like a social credit score, for example, to your money and just basically try to control society at a much finer degree than we've normally been used to. I think we've had a multi-decade trend towards greater and greater financial surveillance and control. And central bank digital currencies kind of represent the in-game scenario for that. So I'm generally not positive on CBDCs. End quote. The popular macro guru says that while she understands why governments are interested in CBDCs, her focus is on their counterweights such as Bitcoin. Quote, I can see why in some cases they're interested in using them. And what I'd rather focus on is building some of these open source alternatives correctly. The counter to CBDCs in many cases is things like Bitcoin that say, okay, it doesn't matter what the borders of a country are. It doesn't matter. No one can just like confiscate your Bitcoin if you hold the keys, end quote. According to Alden, the choice in the future will be between centralized and decentralized forms of money, quote, Those are the two sides of the coin I think people have in their future. They're either going to get more and more into the centrally administered ledgers or more and more into distributed systems and away from some of the banking we've seen kind of used over the past 100 years. So there you go. I mean, that shouldn't surprise anybody uh, what Lynn Alden is is saying here. But if you don't know who she is, I highly recommend you, you take a listen to her. Because, uh, you know, one of the reasons that I like her so much is that she's not in the United States. She's in an inter- she's in an interesting country that she lives in. She's in Chile. I mean, of all the places that you go, you could go to, Chile. You know, it's an interesting choice for various reasons, but it's still an interesting choice of places to be. And she operates as a Chilean citizen, as far as I know, out of the country of Chile. Yet, and somehow or another... I think that gives her enough cover to be able to talk about the things that she talks about. And if you haven't heard her on either, you know, um, TFTC, I think, I don't know if she's been on Citadel Dispatch. I know she's been on uh, What Bitcoin Did with Peter McCormick a few times. Go find those and go listen to what she has to say. Uh, I, I, I have a, a high degree of respect for this woman and think that uh, when she says, and she's like raising the flags and, and sounding alarms on CBDCs, yeah, we, we should probably, we should probably listen to that. Now, final, before we get into running numbers, Coinbase CEO says Bitcoin Lightning is something we'll integrate. Braden Lindria has it for Cointelegraph. <clears throat> 
Bitcoin layer two scaling solution Lightning may feature on the cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase in some capacity, according to the CEO, Brian Armstrong. In a tweet made on April the 8th, Armstrong said that, quote, Lightning is great and something will integrate, end quote, in response to a tweet criticizing him for actively ignoring the network. And it was that tweet that was the criticizing tweet was from Wicked who says, it's weird how Brian Armstrong is actively ignoring the Bitcoin Lightning Network. He hasn't ever tweeted about it, not even once. And then Brian Armstrong says, my tweets auto-delete after some number of months, so there's no search history. Oh, how good for you, Brian. You can't be held accountable for anything then, I guess. Lightning is great, and something will integrate. The alliteration is terrible, I know, but hey, it's Brian Armstrong. He's not all that creative. Armstrong provided no further details on what a Lightning integration with Coinbase would involve or when it could be expected, it's because I, I doubt this is going to happen. I'll get into that here in a second. <clears throat> Coinbase, along with Binance and the now bankrupt FTX, has been called out in the past for not integrating the Lightning Network, which enables faster and cheaper BTC transactions than the Bitcoin-based layer network. According to a GitHub repository by Lightning enthusiast David Cohen, Coinbase would join Bitfinex, Kraken, and OKX as the largest trading platforms to have integrated Lightning if Armstrong stays true to his word. Cohen had previously suggested that Lightning integration may go against the business plan for many of these trading platforms since the priority seems to be to integrate as many altcoins as possible and follow the trends of the market. Armstrong claims to have tested out a Lightning Network application in recent days and sent Cointelegraph reporter Joseph Hall $100 in BTC after Hall shared a video of himself using Bitcoin in Senegal. The $100, $100 was a prize by Armstrong for those who shared the best examples of how people are using crypto in Africa. Hall said he would give away the funds to uh, onboard others to Bitcoin. Uh, he, Hall reported, however, that he hasn't received the payment, prompting Bitcoin, Bitcoiner Derek Ross to suggest that Armstrong needs a lesson on Lightning. Coinbase has lately been more active in the Ethereum ecosystem, having launched BASE on February the 23rd, an Ethereum Layer 2 application-focused network powered on uh, fellow Layer 2 optimism. Interestingly enough, Armstrong wrote a Scaling Bitcoin article back in January of 2016 where he said that he would throw support behind Bitcoin scaling solutions, quote, we also did it to show our support for scaling Bitcoin and encourage things to move forward since we'd like to see a solution sooner rather than later, end quote. Lightning was launched about two years later in March of 2018 with last month marking the fifth anniversary of the network. Cointelegraph contacted Coinbase for comment but did not receive an immediate response. Of course not, because I don't think Brian Armstrong has any intention whatsoever to integrate Lightning in any capacity. One, because he doesn't give a shit. And two, because I don't think they have the technical know-how. Not at that scale. I mean, sure, anybody, I mean, I, I, I'm a Lightning Network, you know, operator. I, I, can, I can do that kind of stuff. But for something as big as Coinbase, well, you got a scale issue. And it doesn't mean that Lightning can't scale, but you're not going to, you're not going to just throw some dude that knows how to have one lightning node into the fray of something like Coinbase and say, yeah, you know what? Set it up for everybody. Okay. How much rack space do I have? How much internet bandwidth am I going to get? I mean, uh, how much fundage do you, you know, 
we got to be able to open these channels. You got, you're talking about thousands of payment channels on multiple nodes that are all integrated with Coinbase's back end. That's not easy to do. I don't think Coinbase can't keep their shit open when there's massive runs, either buying or selling Bitcoin. They go down all the time. I wouldn't expect their lightning solutions to be any better whatsoever, but somehow or another, I think everything that you're hearing about Coinbase is going to integrate lightning. You know, there was a Bitcoin magazine tweets about it and Bitcoin magazine on Nostra was talking about it. And this one from Cointelegraph and it's all over the place. And it's going to happen. It's happening. It's the Ron Paul meme. It's happening. Confetti's everywhere and lights are going off and no. You're, you're literally taking a single sentence from a guy who knowingly is against Bitcoin and say because of this one sentence that Coinbase is going to do that big of a job to integrate multiple lightning nodes and open up thousands of payment channels because this guy writes a tweet? Come on, guys. You're better than that. I know you are. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. We got West Texas Intermediate down 0.8% to $80.02 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise down three quarters of a point to $84.48. Natural gas is up 9.4%. Again, natural gas is up almost a full 10 percentage points to $2.20 per thousand cubic feet. Got gasoline is down a tenth of a point. $2.81 a gallon. All shiny metal rocks are doing poorly today. And gold is $4 away from dipping under the 2000 mark after a 1.1% drop. Silver has dropped three quarter, nope, two thirds of a point to $24.93. Platinum is down one and a third. Copper is down three quarters of a point. Palladium is down three and three quarters of a point. Ag is eh, mostly to the downside, but kind of mixed. Biggest winner today is corn. 1.71% to the upside. Biggest loser is going to be rice. 1.32% to the downside. I got uh, live cattle, 0.32% to the upside. I got hogs live down almost a full point. Feeder cattle down scant 0.02%. Do with that what you will. The indices are basically flat. Dow is up 0.16. S&P is down 0.09. NASDAQ down a full quarter of a point. However, the S&P mini having a shining day, almost a full point to the upside. Real money is also having a good day today as well. And for some reason or another, BitInfo charts decided to give me a whole bunch of shit coins when I've got all these buttons clicked off. Okay. Bitcoin, $29,131. So about a thousand point rise or a thousand dollar rise here over the, like something happened last night and I don't know what but something happened in either event, 231,000 BTC have changed hands in the last 24 hours with an average transaction value of 0.86 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.005 or about 160 bucks, which is extraordinarily low. Block times are very, very high. 12 minutes, zero seconds per block on average with 0.16 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis 
and just under 20 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period with a 6.14% drop in hash rate. We're back to 337.7 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge, not following Bitcoin's rise, 8.4 United States pennies. If it had followed Bitcoin's rise, I would expect Doge being the shitcoin indicator to be up to a right around or just under 10 United States pennies, but it's not. It's where it was after Elon Musk pulled Doge from Twitter. So no recovery there, which means there's no real recovery going on in shitcoin land. Stay away from it, buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, because it has a $564.3 billion market capitalization, and that's 4.18% of gold's entire market cap. And now, after gold taking a little nosedive, if you so choose, you may purchase 14.5 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,342,330.71 of, and 5,416.8 of those are in the Lightning Network, which is now valued at $158 million on the nose. And that's being run over 16,367 nodes sporting 74,389 payment channels. 67% flat of all that is being run over Tor. And we have a difficulty change estimated at a minus 1.6% on April the 20th. 2023 mempool action look at it's starting to kind of clear up a little bit we got 41,000 transactions but we're only waiting on like 105 blocks to clear so things seem to be getting a little bit better however there is purging in mempools that are under that are uh, at 300 megabytes uh, 2.1 satoshis per vbyte Anything underneath that is being purged from various mempools, especially out of the ones that are 300 megabyte as default. <clears throat> we have what? A 16 Satoshi per V-byte low priority fee and a 16 Satoshi per V-byte high priority fee. So apparently, no matter what you block you want to get into right now, it's going to cost you about 65 United States pennies to do a regular old-fashioned simple SegWit transaction. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. I got boostograms, but first, thank you for all the people that boosted the living crap out of show 700, and y'all did. I went from 14 to, or no, it was like 19 on the charts in Fountain to 13. And as of this morning, I'm looking at my spot in the top five. I'm number four. Bitcoin and podcast is now underneath MoFax with Adam Curry, TFTC, and Rabbit Hole Recap coming in at the number one spot. Being associated, just even if it's just the charts, with these uh, podcasts that I do listen to. And I'm actually right above Citadel Dispatch. I mean, and again, not a competition. It's, it's not about competing. It sounds like it is when I talk about the charts, but it's like, for me, the charts basically mean, do y'all care what it is that I'm doing? When I'm in the charts, then it's evident that you do care. When I'm way down below, I start thinking to myself, what am I doing wrong? 
I don't use it because I want to beat rabbit hole recap. I don't want to use it because I want to be on top of Citadel Dispatch. I use the charts simply to figure out, am I screwing this up or am I doing something right? That's the only reason for me that charts even make sense. That's why I do listen to rabbit hole recap. There's, there's a whole notion on the street that says you'd never talk about another podcast on your podcast. Bullshit. I don't agree with it. I love rabbit hole recap. I make sure that I listen to it every week. I love TFTC. I like Marty Bent. I like Matt Odell. I like them as people. I've met Matt Odell in the flesh. I have yet to meet Marty. I almost did in Kerrville, but uh, I was going to meet him later after, you know, because I thought he was going to hang around for the dinner. But like a dumbass, I forgot that his wife was pregnant, very pregnant at the time, and he wasn't going to be able to hang around. So <laughs> I was looking around. I was like, going, hey, well, where's... Where, where's Marty? And they're like, oh, he, he left right after like, like at 11 o'clock in the morning when he got finished with this thing. And I'm like, God damn it. Whatever. Anyway. So one of these days I'll, I'll get to meet Marty and shake, shake his hand as well. Um, I listened to Mo Facts with Adam Curry. I listened to Citadel Dispatch. I listened to No Agenda. I don't listen to uh, Millennial Media Offensive, however, coming in at number seven because I just haven't had time yet. But like, I do listen to podcasting 2.0. I don't listen to Curry and the Keeper. I mean, I listen to a lot of Adam Curry's stuff, but I don't listen to Curry and the Keeper. But I mention these podcasts because these are all in the top 10. You know, I'm, 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 I am in a position where I am graced because of the actions of you guys to be in the top 10 and today being in the top five. Just being associated with these people leads me to believe that I very well may be doing something correct. And with 77,777 sats, letters 6173 seems to agree. He says, congratulations, 700 episodes is an amazing achievement. Thank you for all the hours. You're welcome. Bubba with 21,000 Satoshi says 700. Dabozak says Shas with a boob boost, 8008. Pitar with this full-on striper boost, 7,777 sat says, single cycle combustion turbines, aka peaker plants, are quite common to power systems, and Texas should probably build those too. But Bitcoin miner dispatchable loads will definitely eat into their profits, so limiting the competition through legislation is a really sleazy move and un-American. No shit, I agree. Nick underscore dose with 6,000, ooh, a lopsided boob, 6,006 says, thank you for your value you provide. You bring us relevant Bitcoin news multiple times a week, and I appreciate you. Not as much as I appreciate you, Nick. Uh, 02ZX with 2500 says, banks, data centers, coinage factories, ATMs, credit card processing centers, programmers working in corporations, developing proprietary technologies that underpin banking systems and electricity used to keep the lights on at the firms that provide the legal defense for the crimes they commit seem imprudent and foolhardy. And my, 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 he just lined that shit right out, didn't he? Let's just leave it there and get into the rest of the news for the day. I got, uh, this one is, oh, <laughs> new court filing shows that FTX kept crypto wallet keys on Amazon Web Services. 
They had it in the cloud, ladies and gentlemen, in the cloud. This is written by who? Uh, do, 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 Eli Damble uh, for Bitcoinist. And I think he's doing, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, it's released by Bitcoinist. A recent report shows the bankrupt crypto exchange FTX stored private keys to its customers' wallets on Amazon Web Services or AWS. This information came from the first interim report of the current FTX CEO published on April the 9th. The FTX crypto exchange collapsed. Yes, we know. After it filed for bankruptcy, investigations uh, revealed mismanagement of funds and other business malpractices as the causes of failure. Um, yeah, it was set up to fail. Uh, at least I, I, I'm tinfoil hatting guys, but I, I just don't think that that was organic. A recent published court document has revealed the findings of the current CEO and FTX, John J. Ray III, about the issues of it with FTX's management. And in the report, Ray explained how the exchange poorly carried out its control processes and record keeping. The document showed the negative dealings of the crypto exchange, which became so prominent that it drew the attention of certain regulatory bodies it further revealed that poor control and lack of record keeping were more visible in finance, accounting, management, governance, and information. It also highlighted the necessity for a company that handles the funds of investors and customers to be apt in keeping data sources, identifiable records, and processes. Notably, these pieces of information are useful in protecting and identifying the total funds of the platform, but the FTX group, you know, they just flat out neglected them. Another notable area the court filing disclosed was the exchange stored private keys to its users' crypto wallets on Amazon's cloud computing platform, AWS. The revelation has raised concerns about the security of FTX's users' funds uh, as storing private keys on third-party platforms like AWS's increase the risks of hacks and breaches. Private keys are essential passwords, or essentially passwords allowing users to access their cryptocurrency holdings and transact. Any compromise of these keys could result in the loss of funds if it falls into the hands of bad actors. The report stated that FTX Group was fully aware of how a transparent digital asset exchange should function. This was why the executives made up lies when asked how far it had implemented cold storage. As such, the court has summoned the FTX executives for the deliberately wrong action and response they provided about the safety and storage of crypto assets. This news comes when the cryptocurrency industry is already facing heightened regulatory scrutiny. It remains to be seen how this revelation will further impact FTX's reputation. <laughs> what? There's, no, there's none left. Whatever how it will further impact FTX's reputation and whether the exchange executives will take steps to defend its actions. All right. So that looks, looks like there's going to be some, you know, it's possible, I guess that more charges could be awaiting Sam Bankman fried and the rest of this miscreant crew of degenerates. Um, I don't know exactly what criminal charges could be filed on that other than negligence or, misfeasance, but it's possible that they've just opened themselves up to a fresh round of indictments. Who knows? It's ridiculous. The whole thing needs to burn down. And what effect it would have on its reputation? Are you serious? What What is your view of the reputation of FTX as it stands right now, even before you heard me read that report? Was it a good view of FTX? No. FTX has no reputation left. My, my God. All right. 
This one. <clears throat> Breaking dollar hegemony. BRICS nations are leading the world to hyper-Bitcoinization. Milan Stanad... Wait, Stanajevic. Stanajevic, I think is how you pronounce it. Bitcoin magazine. Since the end of the Second World War, the United States has consistently been the dominant super global dominant global superpower. The Soviet Union vied for superiority during the Cold War, but ultimately failed as it lost control of its satellite states. This was evident when the Berlin Wall came down in 1989. In recent years, American hegemony has been challenged by China, a nation which has accumulated tremendous wealth since opening up its economy to the world. China now seems poised to usurp global power as it continues to engage in a form of financial imperialism across the globe. Today, both Russia and China are part of a global cadre known as BRICS, B-R-I-C-S, which includes Brazil, India, and South Africa, with other countries such as Turkey and Saudi Arabia perhaps waiting in the wings to join as well. In case you haven't been paying attention, the world is ongoing, undergoing a major paradigm shift with BRICS at the center. Banks across the world are failing. Saudi Arabia and Iran are negotiate, negotiating historic peace talks, and countries are beginning to deviate from the United States dollar as the world's reserve currency. An important question to consider, then, is how does the current state of geopolitics and macroeconomics shape the future of a hyper-Bitcoinized world? I acknowledge that nobody can predict the future with any real certainty. However, I would like to share my vision of how game theory plays out over time. I believe that over the next decades, the emergence of BRICS as an alternative to the United States hegemony will cause the global economy to evolve in three phases. Phase one will be a pivot from a unipolar financial world to a multipolar one. In phase two, Bitcoin becomes a medium of exchange and unit of account for many nations. In the third and final phase, we experience real hyper-Bitcoinization. Phase one, from USD to gold. Most people have no idea that this is even happening, but we are already in the early stages of phases of rather stages of phase one and the creation of a multipolar world. In the 1970s, under President Nixon, Saudi Arabia agreed to price its oil in United States dollars in exchange for military defense. Essentially, every other country was forced to hold U.S. dollars as a result, thereby making it the global reserve currency. Having such an exorbitant privilege means that every time the United States government decides to print money, it can essentially purchase oil for free. As a result of being the global reserve currency, United States treasuries became the safest asset for investors to own. I know this statement seems comical today. The consensus has been that there is zero chance that the United States will default on its own debt since it can print ad infinitum. Nation states have purchased enormous levels of United States debt for over 50 years. This is no longer true for all nations, however. China and Russia have been purchasing fewer treasuries over the past decade. Rather than holding U.S. debt as an asset, they have been increasing their gold reserves. India, too, is amassing stockpiles of gold. It appears that the BRICS nations are working toward returning to a gold standard. Under this regime, currencies would once again be pegged to a scarce commodity that many have used as a store of value for thousands of years. But it is unlikely that these states will settle the majority of transactions using physical gold, given the difficulty of transporting and securing it. 
What is certain, though, is that Russia is now allowing countries to purchase its oil in rubles, yuan, and perhaps soon rupees. In this phase, a minority of nations will continue to decrease their U.S. Treasury holdings, transact in foreign currencies, and acquire as much gold as humanly possible, which is why South Africa is in this mix, because they've got massive gold reserves in the ground. The rest of the world... particularly in the West, will continue to function as they have since the 70s. Many countries will still be forced to hold U.S. dollars to purchase oil. American debt, equities, and real estate will continue to store, serve as a store of value for most citizens. And fiat currencies, particularly the United States dollar, will serve as the dominant unit of account. I predict that this first phase will last no longer than 20 more years. Oh, joy. (laughs) That's just me lashing out, sorry. During the course of this phase, many countries will likely default on their debts and experience currency collapses. They will start transacting locally in U.S. dollars the way that some nations do even today. Rising debt to GDP and inflation levels, coupled with tax increases and unemployment, will lead to massive unrest. Governments will be in desperate need of a solution to an unsolvable problem. Phase two, the beginning of a new era. Phase two marks the beginning of a new era. This is when there will be no other choice but to switch to a fundamentally different monetary system. And at this point in time, the non-BRICS nations will quickly adopt Bitcoin as both a medium of exchange and unit of account. This means that everyone is paid in Bitcoin and uses it as a store of value. Real estate will still be owned, but people will buy it as a place to call home rather than as a place to park their wealth. Thank God. Equities will still be bought and traded, but Bitcoin will be regarded as the primary savings vehicle for everyone. Sovereigns and individuals, like yourself, most likely, uh, that have stacked Bitcoin for years will become insanely wealthy within a very short time span. In this phase, globalization will not be as impactful as it is today since the BRICS countries will be alienated from the rest of the world. China and Russia will be conducting trade almost exclusively with their allies, which will ultimately weaken their economies. These states will compete in gold production and the dominant unit of exchange will vary from time to time. Phase two will happen more quickly than phase one, perhaps in as little as 10 years. Phase three, hyper-Bitcoinization. The third and final phase is less complicated. Most of the world will already have transitioned to a Bitcoin standard. For nations that have not already done so, they will notice the increased wealth and standard of living abroad. By this point in time, El Salvador will have become one of the richest countries on earth. Nations still on a gold standard will suffer as a result of being isolated from the rest of the world. Trust in the current system will disappear. Additionally, people will recognize that, compared to Bitcoin, gold is an inferior store of value. Verifying the authenticity of gold is difficult. Transporting and securing it is even more burdensome. Russia and China and its allies will have no other option but to embrace Bitcoin as their local medium of exchange and unit of account. Phase three will also happen rapidly. I predict this will occur over five to ten years. This is how I envision the game theory playing out over the next 20 to 30 years. Perhaps most, if not all of my predictions will be wrong. What I'm certain of, however, is that our world is indeed changing rapidly. Our monetary system is broken. This is reflected in the current banking crisis. Even if most of my predictions are incorrect, we are in desperate need of a return to a sound money system. Bitcoin is the only viable solution in my humble opinion. 
It may be wise to stack a few sats now while you still can. You or your children may benefit from it greatly in the future. Okay. Honestly, I got to say that the, my first reaction to reading this is that it's a little optimistic. It's not that I'm against Bitcoin, you know me, but I'm also a realist. And I just kind of think that, I kind of think that hyper-Bitcoinization is not in my lifetime. Now, I don't want y'all, nobody gets sad about that. Nobody should get sad about what I think is a fact. I could be wrong too. I was wrong about Ray Youssef and Paxful. Remember, I could definitely be wrong about this shit. And I'd be happy to be wrong about this. Believe me, I will throw a party. I'll call it the David Bennett was wrong party and we'll do it in some, I don't know, sale barn with a whole bunch of ranchers cooking up beef. We'll, we'll do that. We'll celebrate me being wrong if hyper-Bitcoinization happens while I'm still walking the earth. However, there's just this... We've been so steeped in bullshit for so long, ladies and gentlemen. Do you really think that people are just going to switch over? They're going to try everything they can to not switch to Bitcoin. They're going to fabricate every reason that even if it's even minimally logical, they're going to throw that shit out there because they just, it's not that they hate Bitcoin. They might think they hate Bitcoin, but I don't think that that's the reason. I think the timidity, the fact that these people just can, just don't want to see it is more intrinsic. It's more the way that they were raised. It's, it's the, the programming that we are asking all these people to break all at once. What are the chances of that program breaking all at once for 8 billion people. You see what I'm saying? How hard was it for you to start thinking differently? It was hard for me. I ain't gonna lie. It was very hard for me. It's still hard. I'm still going through all of the programming and trying to rip it to shreds. And one after another after another keeps floating to the surface. It's that ingrained in us. And that's what we're really fighting. It's not that we're fighting ignorance. It's not that we're fighting sheer hatred for Bitcoin. What we're fighting is the programming for the last 100 years, at minimum, at least since the Federal Reserve. So that's what, 110 years? Was it, was it like, what, 1913 that they did all this crap to us? That was 110 years ago this year. That's a lot of baggage to clear through, bro. So don't be surprised if it just continues to just move sideways and we continue with the cycling of Bitcoin and the halving and all the, the crap, right? The stuff that we're kind of bored with, right? Don't be surprised if you have to remain bored with it for a lot longer than you're prepared to, but that does not mean what? That you don't buy Bitcoin and you don't hold Bitcoin. You need that. You need Bitcoin in your life. The people around you need Bitcoin in their life. Continue doing what we always do. Buy Bitcoin. Hold Bitcoin. Stay humble and stack sats. Meanwhile, hackers rob South Korean exchange of $13 million worth of Bitcoin shitcoin number one 
and other shit coins. This is written by Andrew Asmakov for Decrypt.co. Hackers made off with roughly $13 million across a variety of cryptocurrencies after raiding the South Korean crypto exchange GDAC, GDAC. The incident occurred around April the 9th with the hackers targeting the exchange's hot wallet. The stolen assets represent roughly 23% of GDAC's total holdings and included 60.8 Bitcoin, yeah, 60.8 Bitcoin, 350.5 shitcoin number one, 10 million shitcoin tokens, and 220,000 in the dollar peg stablecoin USDT, the company said in a statement on Monday. WeMix is the native token powering the eponymous crypto network. The WeMix team said that it is closely monitoring the situation. For detailed information and updates on the incident, WeMix asked to refer to the official announcement made by GDAC. Crypto exchanges use hot wallets to store a portion of their funds that are available for immediate withdrawal and trading activities. However, hot wallets also come with security risks. Contrary to cold wallets that keep assets offline, unless you're storing them on AWS for whatever reason, hot wallets are connected directly to the internet, meaning that if an exchange's hot wallet is compromised, it can result in significant financial losses for the exchange and its users, as we have seen here. GDAC CEO, can't pronounce his name, said that the exchange's wallet system and related servers were suspended and blocked as soon as the incident was confirmed. In response to the incident, the company said it is collaborating with both domestic and foreign crypto exchanges and issuers to prevent the stolen coins from being laundered and to recover them. Additionally, GDAC has informed the South Korea or the Korea Internet and Security Agency, the Korea Financial Intelligence Unit, and the police of the incident. Cryptocurrency theft surged last year with a staggering $3.8 billion worth of assets stolen. This represents the most significant one-year loss in the history of cryptocurrencies with state-backed North Korean hackers being believed to be amongst the most active. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you use shit coinery. And, you know, this, like the, the, I guarantee you the majority of what, what's been lost of that $3.8 billion worth of, U, uh, worth of U.S. dollars is a f- only a mere fraction of that is actually Bitcoin because all these people just keep thinking they're going to get into shit coinery and get rich and everything's going to be fine. And it's not fine. They keep getting hacked over and over and over again to wit, <laughs> to wit. I just had it. Oh, there it is. Terra DeFi project Terra port suffers their own $2 million hack just days after launch. Helen Parts, Cointelegraph. The algorithmic stablecoin Terra USD collapsed almost one year ago, but some Terra related projects are still alive and trying to overcome some issues. TerraPort Finance, a decentralized finance exchange project based on the Terra Classic blockchain, suffered a breach on its liquidity wallet today, April the 10th. Announcing the news on Twitter, TerraPort said the hacker had drained all liquidity pools from the platform, causing losses of about $2 million worth of digital assets. Quote, we are currently working with community members and major exchanges to secure as many of these funds as possible and blacklist wallets. All funds have been tracked, TerraPort stated. Oh, well, that's good for you there, pal. According to social media reports, the TerraPort hacker has allegedly transferred the stolen funds to exchanges like Binance and 
MEXC Global. The instigators or investigators have urged the securities uh, exchange exchange securities team to freeze the assets as soon as possible. Good luck. While Terraport has been investigating the security issue and preparing an incident report, many online crypto enthusiasts have stood up to criticize the rushed launch of Terraport. Following a token sale in February and March of 2023, uh, Terra C Vita launched its Terra Classic-based decentralized exchange, Terraport, on March the 31st. But by April the 7th, Terraport burned nearly 100 million Luna Classic tokens in an attempt to revitalize Terra after it failed one year ago. Quote, what was, what, hold on, what was for that hurry to launch to have two months pre-sale, one commenter called out on Twitter, stating that the answer to this question is the key to understanding the project's driving force. Some industry observers also alleged that Terraport went live without completing an audit, which triggered yet more complications. The crypto community also expressed outrage against influencers who have been involved in promoting Terraport before it suffered an exploit. According to LNUC enthusiast uh, Levi Rittveld, some influencers like Classy Crypto removed their LNUC-related promoting content soon after the platform was hacked. Quote, things are extremely fishy and it's likely someone on the Terraport team rugged, he said. Emerged largely in 2021, the DeFi industry continues to struggle in terms of security and infrastructure vulnerabilities, with new DeFi incidents coming up almost every day. Every day, ladies and gentlemen, every day now. One of the latest such incidents happened on April the 8th with DeFi protocol SushiSwap losing more than $3 million. Okay, that was two days ago. And SushiSwap got hit too, and I don't have that report. You don't need it. It's here. DeFi, SushiSwap on April the 8th, lost $3 million due to a bug on the smart contract that aggregates trade liquidity. It's, oh, it's the same story over and over and over again. So if any of your friends are still thinking about DeFi, keep, point them to the Bitcoin and podcast because generally speaking, the last part of the second part of the show is where I normally put all the crap that happened to DeFi. All the, the, the oh, what do they call them? Cautionary tales as they were, that this is why you just deal with Bitcoin and you don't leverage and you don't take loans on it. You don't lend it out. You don't do anything with it. You buy it and you hold it. And if you are going to use it, then use it to buy Maple Trades Maple Syrup or buy a, a one-year subscription to uh, the Survival Podcast Member Service Brigade because he gives you discounts on other stuff. It's 50 bucks. See, I'm doing it again. I'm, I'm literally letting you know, quote unquote, who my competition is because Jack Spearco and I are not in fucking competition with each other. We're not trying to cannibalize each other's audiences. This doesn't exist when you have your mindset correct. And the correct mindset is we go further and get richer together than separately. And we don't invest in DeFi, bullshit, altcoin, shitcoin, whatever. We don't take leverage. We don't lend. We don't borrow against. We don't do stupid things with our Bitcoin. If the only credible thing 
that anybody should be doing with their Bitcoin at this moment of time is cranking up the circular economy. And that means buying direct goods and services like build me a website. That's a service. Send me some of your maple syrup. Please do that maple trade and some more of your sister's soap and I'll pay you via lightning. Okay, that's a credible thing to use Bitcoin for once you own it. Everything else outside of that involves finance. Stay away from it as far as you can. Run, 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 run. And then when you think you've run far enough away, run some more because otherwise you're going to end up being sued by Craig Wright. Yep, Craig Wright in the news again. Craig Wright. Hence that Apple may be violating copyright by storing the Bitcoin white paper. You knew it was going to happen. You knew it was going to happen. He has to. He worked himself into this hole. He has to credibly defend every potential copyright violation of the white paper because he's filed a copyright on it. And, they, and the, the Copyright Office of the United States gave him one, like the dumbasses that they are because they just weren't thinking. They weren't doing any due diligence. They weren't doing any kind of research whatsoever as to what they were allowing a copyright on. In either event, because Apple, for the last five years or so, all of their Mac OS stuff has the Bitcoin white paper embedded directly in the operating system, which now means that Craig Wright may actually try to sue the behemoth that is Apple. You thought going up against a space cat was bad and losing your ass and getting fucking pasted. Oh, you just wait until Apple legal team gets a hold of your ass and throws you around like a rag doll. Controversial computer scientist and self-proclaimed creator of Bitcoin, Craig Wright today hinted that Apple was violating copyright laws. When asked on Twitter Friday if Apple might be in breach of copyright for storing the Bitcoin white paper, the Australian computer scientist responded by saying yes. This week's news dropped that the largest cryptocurrency explanatory paper was stored on Apple machines unbeknownst to many Mac users. Just by punching in a simple command, you can see the file. Australian programmer and lawyer, he's not a lawyer, I'm sorry, he's just not. Australian programmer and relative scumbag Craig Wright has long claimed that he is Bitcoin's pseudonymous creator, he's not. He has repeatedly said that Bitcoin spinoffs derived from the cryptocurrency are in breach of his intellectual property rights, they're not, because he came up with the original blockchain. And today he appeared to be making the point that Apple was sharing his alleged seminal work without asking permission first. But Wright has also long been criticized for making such a claim and not having the proof to back it up. No, he doesn't. To do so, he'd have to show that he has the private keys to Satoshi's Bitcoin addresses. And all he's got to do here, this is me talking, all he's got to do is sign a single message, and it doesn't even involve sending Bitcoin. All he's got to do is sign a message with those private keys that will end up somewhere, and we'll be able to see it, and we'll know that he is indeed in possession of the private keys. And even then, I still wouldn't believe him because I would just say that he stole them from I don't know, whoever Satoshi was, if he even knew him, and I don't think he did. Wright's lawyers told Decrypt in 2020 that he did not have them. He did, his own lawyers have made it public that Craig Wright is not in possession of Satoshi's private keys. So he's never going to be able to sign that message. 
Decrypt today asked Wright whether he would try and sue Apple for breach of copyright, but didn't receive a response. In February, Wright lost a claim in a UK court to protect the Bitcoin blockchain by copyright. He also hinted in December that he was no longer interested in convincing people that he created the world's biggest digital asset. Wright is also supporting Bitcoin SV. He doesn't just support it, that's actually his deal. A Bitcoin spinoff that emerged in November 2018 when Bitcoin Cash, another fork, and currently the 30th largest cryptocurrency split in two. Bitcoin SV proponents call Bitcoin SV the original Bitcoin, but it's been delisted from almost every major exchange. Wright is no stranger to the courts. Reuters report that he is currently in the process of suing 15 Bitcoin developers to receive around 111,000 BTC after he lost the encrypted keys to access them when his home computer was allegedly hacked. I'm sorry, but the man is a fraud. Everything he says is a fraud. I wouldn't believe him. But Jack Dorsey on Nostra yesterday, I, he tweeted or he, he put out a note that had the article about this whole white paper or, the, or that Craig Wright was thinking about, you know, I don't know, he was blaming Apple and saying that they were in copyright violation. And Jack's message in that note was, please, 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 please let this happen. Because we know that here's what, here's what happens. If Craig Wright files an actual lawsuit against Apple in courts, and at least in the United States, but I think he might be able to do it in the European Union as well, which is probably where he would do it, then Apple is going to wipe the floor with the entire legal team that Craig Wright and Calvin Ayer created because they created that law firm. That law firm serves no other purpose than to prosecute lawsuits filed by Craig Wright, either whether he's claiming to be Satoshi Nakamoto or he's claiming that he's been like libeled against, like with Huddle and not. That CDA or whatever the name they call that, I can't remember the name of the law firm offhand, but that law firm never existed before like 2018. It was spun up in my opinion, and it's only my opinion, that entire law firm, that entire legal team has no reason for existence except to prosecute Craig Wright's claims. Now, if you know about that law, that law firm and that they are prosecuting and have other clients or that they existed before I'm, I'm saying in 2018 or 2019 or whenever it was that Huddle and Not first got sued, I could find no documentation whatsoever that that firm was in existence before the Huddle and Not stuff started dropping. So again, just my opinion, but that entire thing was spun up to prosecute Craig Wright's stuff in courts across the world. The one thing he hasn't done is sue anybody in the United States because I don't think he can, but that doesn't stop him from being an idiot. However, when you go up against Apple's legal team, I don't, I don't think he knows what he's doing. So here's what I predict. He's going to do everything short of actually filing a lawsuit. He, he'll file a complaint. He'll, he'll do everything that is in his path, that his lawyers can do legally short of actually suing Apple because they know they will not survive that case. And that once and for all, we would know 
exactly to the depths of which Craig Wright is in fact a fraud. Because that legal team of Apple, they're not going to mess around. They're well-funded, they're very talented. Why do you think Apple is what it is? Why do you think Microsoft is what it is today? If not for these guys' legal teams, there would be a very different picture of what corporate stuff looks like worldwide. But because of the legal teams and because they can be so very nasty and they can cause a lot of expense very, very quickly on the side of whoever tries to sue them, that they basically just financially crush everything in their path. And those that survive, they just crush them later on with something else. So don't expect an actual lawsuit to be filed by Craig Wright against Apple, but assume that they will do everything else to make it look like he is defending his copyright. Because if he doesn't do anything, then that degrades his claim on the copyright of the white paper, which is fraudulent to begin with. But I digress. And that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Monday joke day. If I'm reading their lips correctly, my neighbors are arguing about some creepy guy next door. That would probably be Craig Wright. I'm just saying. Yeah, I wouldn't put uh, a whole lot of hope that he actually does sue Apple. Although I'm with I'm with uh, Jack Dorsey on this. I, I hope it happens. I hope he does that full maneuver. I mean, I, I really hope they just full out sue Apple for cop for you know copyright infringement um, because they will crush him. But I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, again, I want to thank everybody who helped uh, Bitcoin and podcast get to top, uh, get to the number four spot in the fountain charts. Uh, that really helps discovery of the show. And lately, I've been seeing a lot more people listening to the show, given at least what metrics that I can get out of SoundCloud. It looks like there's a steady state of more and more people listening to the show. I only have you to thank for that because my marketing sucks so bad. I wouldn't be able to do it out of a wet paper bag with holes in it. I'm not kidding. There are some people that are naturals at marketing. Texas Slim is one. And Jack Spirico from the Survival Podcast, he's another one. He, Both of those guys, they know how to market. It just comes naturally to them. God, I wish it came naturally to me, but it doesn't. So therefore, I depend on you guys, the guys that actively listen to the show all the time, to send the word out. And you can also send the word out to your friends, not only about the show, but by about using a modern podcasting app, which you can find from podcast or newpodcastapps.com. There's a whole list of them. And a lot of them have the, the full-blown features of podcasting 2.0, like being able to boost and send a message through it. Uh, there's a whole ecosystem developing, you know, in uh, on Fountain App, around people that are making clips and they get the money for making those clips. Like if you clip my show and somebody likes that clip, I don't get the Satoshis for it. I don't even get a percentage of it. You get full and and you're using my content and that's fine because that's the way that I can grow the show by not trying to stop people from using my content by saying it's my intellectual property and I absolutely refuse to. Oh, bullshit. If you want to, if you want to get it, 
I was about to say to get ahead in this world, but that's that same coming from fear, you know, competitive bullshit mindset. I'm just, if I want to grow the show because I suck at marketing, uh, the last thing that I would ever do is come after anybody for doing anything with the content that I put on the Bitcoin and podcast. That is never going to happen. I'm, you want to rebroadcast this show on, on your brand new, I don't know, Nostra radio. I've had people reach out and say, Hey, can you mind if we do it? And they're being polite. Honestly, guys, if you just credit me, even if you don't, I'm not going to bitch, but I mean, the nice thing to do is say, Hey, this is the Bitcoin and podcast. And here's how you can go listen to it. And please subscribe because the guy's like, he's not going to get, you know, breathe down our necks about putting his show up. And we didn't even ask him permission. I'm serious because that's just going to do nothing but help me. Why would I do something to limit that? So that's never going to happen for me. I want you guys to clip the show. I want you guys to listen to the show. I want you guys to send it out. And if you guys need to experiment with a new platform that you're building, feel free to download episodes. Now download the whole damn library if you want to. I'm fine. I'm fine with it because it's going to do nothing but help me. And I'm reaching more people now. It may get to the point where one of these days I might actually be able to call up Bitcoin Magazine and say, hey, I got X amount of, you know, X amount of listeners. I don't suppose you'd consider being a sponsor of the show because I'm, you know, not sucking swamp water. You know, most podcasts die before year, you know, actually most podcasts die in the first year because of various reasons. Most of the, most of the remaining die in the second or third years because they just, they never can get, you know, I don't know, good sponsors or any sponsors whatsoever. I've actively kind of avoided doing that because I wanted to come to a sponsor with actual numbers, real shit and numbers that actually go, well, okay, I might actually, if I were to, you know, spend this much money with a guy to advertise our stuff. And if I advertise somebody's stuff, it's going to be either somebody that I use as a service or somebody's product that I love. I'm not going to, I'm not going to have advertisements from Kraken. Okay. I'm not an exchange guy and I sure shit am never going to send you to a place that offers online gambling. I think that that is the most heinous thing to do to anybody. I'm never going to do that. It's going to be a good product. It's going to be a good service. Okay. So I'm just saying, if you guys want to help me out, get me to a point where I can make a house payment with, with this show. One of these days, it doesn't have to be soon, but one of these days I want that to happen then spread the show, spread it through podcasting 2.0. If you do that for me, I might be able to make something of this that I never thought I could make of it before. And with that, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.